on Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. And, and you know, this Palm Sunday Holy Week experience is one that um, we've celebrated with the children. Did the children come in here with the palms? The children, we really worked them overtime today. I think they went to five different places, just kept going and blessing us. Um, and we love to see the children. And we also have lifted our own palms in essence in our commitment cards. And I want to thank you for that. Today I want to talk about what it means to be running on empty. I want to talk to you about what it means to be a church running on empty. I want to talk to you about a Lord who ran that way on empty. You know, we really do love uh, happy endings, don't we? I mean, we're people of happy endings. And the way this Holy Week started... uh, Centuries ago, uh, it started out um, looking pretty good, but before the end of the week, it didn't look like a happy ending. Reminded me of a story that I read just this week about a, a Hollywood producer named Sam Goldwyn, and he was listening to a director named Billy Wilder who was going on about a movie that he thought, or, or a story that he thought would make a great movie, and he was selling this movie. He was going on and on about it, and and, and Goldwyn just stopped him and he said, wait a minute, does it have a happy ending? And Wilder said, well, well, um, at the end, there, there's a guy at the end and he winds up in an insane asylum thinking he's a horse. And so he got kicked out of the office. And in a few minutes, Billy Wilder peeked back into the door and he said, hey, He said, what if at the end, the guy who thinks he's a horse, what if he wins the Kentucky Derby? (laughs) That's supposed to be really funny. (laughs) You you know, it's just this quest for happy endings. You know, just do anything for happy ending. Make a horse win the Kentucky Derby who's really a person. it's, It's about how do we make this Palm Sunday and this week called Holy into something beyond happy, something that's a deep-seated joy. God had in mind Easter. I want to say that before we get there to Easter, we have to connect with what this Sunday is all about. We have to connect with the feeling of the Hebrew people how they were gathered that day, cutting down palm branches and spreading them in the street, knowing that Jesus was coming their way. They were doing so just like their ancestors did, not 75 years ago like we've done today, but, but, but 150 years ago when, when they were celebrating uh, Maccabeus, Simon Maccabeus coming back in, into the city. And, and they were honoring him and celebrating him because he had overthrown Antiochus. And Antiochus was a harsh ruler. He had just decimated Jerusalem and the temple. He'd sacrificed pigs on the altar, which you can't get any lower than that. He turned the temple into a, a worship center for Zeus. And then there was a 20-year, somewhat of a guerrilla war that, that went on. And finally, after 20 years, Maccabeus was successful in overtaking Antiochus. And so the people had every reason to shout Hosanna. 
Their, their, their time had finally become a happy ending. But it was short-lived because Maccabeus was assassinated. And, and then the, the Jews turned right back to occupation by the Romans. And so this Jesus, just days ago, he raised Lazarus from the dead. This Jesus who we've been hearing about for years, who's healed people, who teaches like we've never heard before. And he's coming into town. And so they're spreading these palm branches as if Simon Maccabeus is coming back. A particular kind of ruler with a specific type of power. And here comes Jesus on the back of a donkey with his disciples who don't look like an army. Heralding peace that not everybody was really wanting to hear. They were looking for a victor. You know, with, with this week in mind, Paul writes to the Philippians. The second chapter of Philippians is a letter. You know, Paul loved the Philippians. Every other letter that Paul wrote had a, a, a reprimand for the audience who read it, but not Philippians. He loved the Philippians. He loved the Philippians' joy. And he wrote to them, not reprimanding at all, but pointing them in the direction of the truth. So I'd like for us to read the second chapter of Philippians, the first 11 verses. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Who thought he was in, this is like a hymn, who thought he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, as something to be explained, but he emptied himself. Taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him. And gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Don't you love that text? That text about what, what our good news is about is about a Christ, a God who emptied himself. Even to the point of obedience, death on a cross for you and for me. And not just us here on earth, but those below the earth, in, in, in heaven and on earth. He came for everyone so that we could profess him as Lord and Savior of all. 
You know, Paul opens this treasure to us of what God has done in Christ. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. In other words, he's saying, if you have ever found Christ's support in your hour of need, have you ever found Christ's support in your hour of need? If you have ever been refreshed by the Spirit that has given you the ability to hold on, have you ever been there where you've needed the ability to hold on and you knew you didn't possess it? Then complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind. In other words, be those who help others hold on. Be those who stand by others in their point of greatest need. Be those who have the mind of Christ. Empty yourself. Humble yourself. Be the servant that Christ has been the example of. And in this way, Paul paints a portrait of Christ coming and standing by your side and my side and being lifted up on a cross for you and for me and for the whole world. And he says, this is our God. This is our love. This is the mind that we're called to have. Did any of you watch basketball last week? Some of you. Seemed like it was three weeks ago. But you know, it was Monday night, I think, wasn't it, when we were all gathered around watching the Texas Tech Red Raiders. I've never pulled for the Texas Tech Red Raiders like I did last Monday night. And, of course, there's Baylor Bears in the room who are saying, well, you remember our women. They went all the way, right? Well, it caused me to think in terms of a, of a, a couple of members of our church who are in the 11 o'clock service this morning, and one of them's named Billy Bob Harris. And Billy Bob told me a story the other day. He said that he played high school basketball in the little town of Groover that's in the Panhandle. And he said that we were fortunate enough to make it to the state playoffs, and we played a team from Avoca. Now, Groover and Avoca couldn't have had 500 people in population. Okay, and there was a guy named Max Williams. Okay, Max is in, in the worship service today too. And, and Max was quite a star. I mean, he, um, he led Avoca to a 44-1 record. He was, um, he, he, he was the all-tournament player in every tournament he ever played in. He was the first person to be in the Texas uh, Basketball Hall of Fame who was... Um, a state player three years in a row. And then he came to SMU and he was an all-Southwest Conference, and Max is about this tall, all-Southwest Conference basketball team. And then he became the general manager and coach of the Dallas Chaparrales before they became the Spurs. I mean, this guy's good. And Billy Bob was saying, you know, one of the greatest experiences of my life was that in the, in the, in the, in the second half of our state championship basketball game with Avoca, um, the coach took the senior out who was trying to guard Max Williams and couldn't guard him, and he put me, a freshman, in to guard Max Williams. He said, one of the proudest moments in my life was when I stepped onto that court and guarded Max Williams. He said, I am proud to this day that I held Max Williams to 34 points in the second half. 
And it caused me to remember, you know, Michael Jordan. And I remember one game, Michael Jordan scored 69 points by himself. 69 points for the Chicago Bulls. And, and there was one of his teammates being interviewed um, some years later. I think that teammate was actually retiring. And, and they asked him to you know, share one of his most memorable experiences. He said, well, I remember one time that Michael Jordan and I combined for a total of 70 points. <laughs> this guy made one point. And Michael Jordan made 69. You know, it caused me to wonder, it, that's kind of the relationship we have with God. We've got a 69% God, you, you know, to our one. Our God has done so much more for us than we could ever do for God. We've leaned on Christ, hopefully all of our lives. If we hadn't, it's time to start. Because you can't lean on yourself, you're going to let yourself down without Christ. We've got the greatest in Christ. The greatest example of, of others-oriented love. The greatest example of what it means to be godly. To empty yourself. To humble yourself. All for others in the name and mind of Christ. Wow. We have a God that so far outgives us we could never ever catch up. And yet in Him giving to us like that, those of us who are Christians who catch that mind change the world through His inspiration. And what He did on a cross that changed the world. You know, a few years ago, I got an email from one of you sharing about your, um, your cousin who died on March the 29th. And, and this member shared with me that this cousin was a professed atheist and had been for a long time. In fact, he said he used to deride his older brother because his older brother was a professing born-again Christian. He said, my cousin, um, he got diagnosed with terminal cancer and he said... Um, I don't know if the cancer changed him or what, but he said on, on the Christmas Eve before he died in March, on the Christmas Eve, he came to church and he was singing the carols along with the whole family. And he said, we, 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 we noticed a marked difference in his demeanor. And then this member said, on the 29th of March, he was drinking coffee with his wife. It wasn't a special cup of coffee. It was a McDonald's cup of coffee. And, and he said, my cousin turned to his wife and said, do you see this cup? And she looked at the cup he was holding, and it said McDonald's. He said, do you see what it says on there? It says, Jesus loves me. She, she looked at it and she said, Honey, I think that's a message just for you today. I, I think that's a special message for you. And this member said, three hours later, he had died. And isn't that just like our God? 
who would want anyone living apart from him to know, to know, to know, to know, Jesus loves you. Loves you enough that he emptied himself. So that we would have that same mind as we empty ourselves for others. I want to tell you one more story before I quit. Today is Commitment Sunday. And I want to say I've never been a part of a church that has emptied itself more than this one. (coughs) Saturday night, last night, there were 800 men and women in this room. Citywide alcoholics meeting. Who would say about this church, this church, that program across the street saved my life. Many of you were up here yesterday for a soggy Easter egg hunt, right? 600 children who know home is a shelter. 150 of you were here making sure they had an Easter extravaganza. There was a funeral in the afternoon, a wedding too. Just an average Saturday in the life of the church. At Lover's Lane. I've never known a church that has taken itself so non-seriously. And who lives so naturally and authentically into what it means to have the mind of Christ. Now we, we are not perfect. No, 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 no. But there is a spirit here that knows what it means to empty ourselves for others. I'm glad my kids grew up here. I'm glad my grandbaby was baptized here. She's going to be hunting Easter eggs in a minute. I love this place. You know... 20 years ago, we were in the first capital campaign that I'd done here at this church. I was 38 years old. My knees were knocking. We were doing a $13 million capital campaign. Does that ring a bell? And you know, when you have a capital campaign that big, you need some really big gifts, and you need some medium-sized gifts, and you need some small gifts. You need everybody to give what they believe God's leading them to give. But I knew I had to go ask a man for a million dollars. I'd never asked anybody for a million dollars in my life. Mr. Bob Folsom and Margaret. Bob was the mayor of Dallas once upon a time. And I remember walking into his office and we were... We were discussing together, you know, kind of small talk. And I was nervous and he could tell it. He knew why I was there. And and then all of a sudden I just said, uh, Bob, you know about the capital campaign? He said, oh, yeah, I made the motion at the board meeting. We need to go forward with it. I said, yeah, I know. I said, I need a big gift. He said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah. Bob, I need you and Margaret to give a million dollars. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Whoa, that's a lot of money. Whoa, a million dollars, my goodness. Then he put his head in his hands like this, and I was just wide-eyed, and what have I done? And, and he said, can I give it over five years? I said, yes, sir. And every April Fool's Day, I kid you not, my anniversary here at Lover's Lane is April the 1st. 1998, every fool, April Fool's Day, the church got a check addressed to me, but to the church, for $200,000 for five years. But after I settled down, he said, I want to tell you something, Stan. He said, you didn't know my daddy, Jack. My daddy, Jack, was kind of Mr. Methodist. He said he was the conference lay leader. Everybody thought my daddy had a lot of money. My daddy was a shoe salesman. But he said, my daddy was a leader. He said, we got here before daddy did, but everybody thought that Margaret and I followed him to Lover's Lane. We didn't follow him. He followed us. But you couldn't convince Methodists of that. They knew my daddy. I'm nothing. He was the mayor of Dallas. I'm nothing. But he said, I... I went many a time and heard my daddy speak to a room full of Methodists and here's what I loved and what he said. He said, you know, we shouldn't give till it hurts. We should give till it feels good. That's the way I like to give, till it feels good. And I could tell when I was listening to Bob how his daddy had influenced him so not in the amount he could give he couldn't give nearly what Bob and Margaret could give but the spirit in which he gave it he emptied himself he gave what he could but not not just giving what he could he gave with the mind of Christ and with a joyful heart and that's all God asks of any of us so lovers lane this capital campaign is not about raising a bunch of money. It's about raising the mind of Christ in this church so that we can continue to do the ministry and outreach God has called us to be about so that we can continue to influence the world for Christ's sake until every knee bows on heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Come alongside another. Be the compassion of Christ. Be the love of Jesus. The world needs us. And I can't think of anything greater to commit your life to.